salutations. You're listening to The Plunge, either by intention or by happenstance. If you don't already know, we have entered the elite ranks of the iTunes store. For the first time, we'd like to ask you to please subscribe and give us all of the five-star ratings you can. We're truly thrilled to be able to give you the convenience of listening to our show on your favorite podcasting app around the world. This week on the show, jobless racist Joe Arpaio, having narrowly escaped criminal charges in a deus ex-Trump, is now running for Arizona Senate to replace retiring Senator Jeff Flake. We will fill you in on his prior exploits as the totalitarian sheriff of Maricopa County, and we will discuss the merits of faking one's own assassination. But, as one racist ascends, so another has fallen. Steve Bannon is out at Breitbart, and we couldn't be happier. Soon to be jobless, Chris Christie has offered massive tax breaks to Amazon in exchange for the coveted second headquarters being located in New Jersey. Unfortunately, as we say goodbye to the governor's meatloaf-filled body, we still find ourselves forced to contend with the sheer dominance of Amazon and its god-emperor, Jeff Bezos. In New York State, prisons have come under scrutiny and protest for attempting to limit books for inmates. On the flip side, the city of New York has filed a lawsuit against the five largest oil companies for their role in allegedly creating climate change. The city will also be fully divesting from the fossil fuel industry and an extremely rare example of bravery on the part of the de Blasio administration. In the pop culture corner, we'll have consulting producer Rachi to discuss Justin Timberlake's return to the Super Bowl stage and the use and abuse of black music and culture by former teen idols as they struggle to shake their bubblegum image. We'll also hearken back to the pre-YouTube days of 2004 when the phrase wardrobe malfunction entered our lexicon. Rachie also came by to give her unadulterated read on Oprah 2020, and that's what's going to happen. Then, she will stick around to tell us a story about newly minted sex pest James Franco and his overwhelming odor. Plug your nose, because it's time to plunge. you know it episode 13 plunge podcast at plunge podcast on twitter with dance event and sam wagstaff we finally got the podcast on itunes this week so just want to say it at the top yeah we sold out yeah so you can uh, say what you want about our 12 week delay but it's there and you can subscribe now and uh, please leave us a review and a rating we need your feedback we need it. It's the kind of show that depends upon it. And we got a lot of exciting topics to talk about today. I I think to start, it's important to take a look at Joe Arpaio's <laughs> announced uh, Senate run. Now, 
He announced, and then he uh, did quite a press tour this week in which uh, he both uh, went on Infowars and uh, tried to win over the Alex Jones audience, and uh, additionally... I believe the Alex Jones wing is known as the (laughs) alt-shite. And then additionally, he tried to peddle the conspiracy that Barack Obama's birth certificate is falsified what do you mean uh what do you mean conspiracy uh, i apologize the completely legitimate suggestion no um what do you think about all this why would now be a time this man would find opportune to run for senate it's definitely like kind of a sign of the times as far as how this administration or like the country in general feels about immigration like Joe Arpaio and for is first and foremost the guy who created like a virtual I mean not even a virtual like a true concentration camp made out of tents um were deprived of water yeah clothes they were forced to wear pink clothing to like feminize the men extremely like weird uh psychological torture they were played the same songs over and over again just like Really sadistic shit. These were people detained for what reason, really? Uh, because they looked like they might be illegal immigrants, Dan. And what what do you think might clue Joe Arpaio into thinking that you're an illegal immigrant, by chance? Uh, uh, let's see. Could, could it be a, a racial distinction? Yeah, I mean, so basically when it comes to uh, the way... I guess uh, undocumented people or, you know, at this point, all immigrants are treated in this country uh, is as if like it's, you know, fucking this is going to be controversial, but it's kind of like 1930s Germany. You're, like you're liable to have to like be, you know, you're, someone's going to come up to you and ask for your papers uh, at they any given point. 7-Eleven restaurants. That's week. right. 21 Sorry, restaurants. Maybe that's not the right classification. Yeah, but they're establishments. They're business sure. establishments. Either way. uh it's just a bellwether of where we're at. Um, prisoners died in his tent cities at like an alarming rate. Um, one of his jailers um, almost broke um, a paraplegic guy's neck. Um, he was asking for a catheter. I mean, like there are more. There are other things. Um, there's an example of like him responding to uh, a fire and like torturing the lady um, whose house was on fire. By making her dog go back into the burning house and just sit there and oh burn God. to death. He is a, it's not just that he's like created this like, you know, concentration camp in, you know, America in the middle of the desert. Um, it's not bad enough that he was able to turn like Arizona or Maricopa County into such a hell for immigrants. He inflicted on just like everyone with sadistic like joy. It's obscene. And just to backtrack a little bit. He was pardoned by Donald Trump recently for what exact charges? He was being charged with profile, like we, what we were describing earlier, which was profiling people without cause and uh, depriving them of, you know, basic liberties. But yeah, Trump pardoned him, establishing the fact that it's that's where we're at and that's what the government is trying to get done these days is allow people who abuse their power to get off and be empowered to, you know, go run for senate which is what he's trying to do now definitely running for senator is a lot different than like being a sheriff he'll probably have a little less license to just like wantonly abuse human beings like at least with his like bare hands but uh 
Either way, it's it's not it's not a good sign. It's not the kind of person you want, like deciding on your rights, and not exactly the type of person uh, who should be walking free in our society. He's a fucking monster. But also to lighten it up, um, like <laughs> there's some weird stories about him. He somehow found time and money to send a deputy to Hawaii to look for uh, Barack Obama's birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have that trip, that free Hawaii trip. Imagine like a uh, like a neo noir film of just like I've just landed in Hawaii. Sheriff Arpaio sent me out here to find the one piece of paper that everyone in this country has been looking for for years now. I'm talking, of course, about Obama's birth certificate quote unquote i shouldn't have only brought one swimsuit <laughs> i'm gonna be doing a lot of deep sea diving looking for treasure as a desert person i've never seen the ocean before <laughs> this is just an atrocious atrocious man we're talking about sheriff joe arpaio running for senate but we also heard uh, chelsea manning is running for senate um Having only been free uh, about a year, uh, not much longer than that. And it's so fucking baller when people uh, suffer something like what she suffered um, and then get out and immediately just get right back to the fucking fight and like hop right back fucking in there. I mean, you know, actually they're probably like a bunch of right wing assholes who are saying the same thing about Joe Arpaio right oh now. But fuck them. We're, that's not the that's yeah, not the point I of the show. Just research both uh, stories and see who you sympathize with. So uh, as far as Gerard Pyro goes, um, I mean, so fucked up that uh, like in 2013, a federal judge um, like handed down the decision, uh, causing him to lose a civil rights lawsuit against the ACLU. But he was, you know, he's still allowed to like, go scot free and whatever. Once he staged an assassination attempt against himself. It wound up costing taxpayers $11 million through a wild story that we'll link to because I'm dumb spending time on this asshole. He's a joke, and, you know, I hope he tries to do this again and succeeds. That's my official take on Joe Arpaio. I hope he uh, tries to, you know, convince people that he's been killed by just going ahead and pulling the trigger himself. Fuck you. I hope one day to have the resources to fake my own assassination. I would do that now if I could. (laughs) Yeah, just flee... So, this is a big story this week, and I subtitled it with uh, James Domi and Sebastian Gorka. Bannon is slain. <laughs> Steve Bannon fired from Breitbart News. And no longer a co-worker, technically, of mine at Sirius XM Radio. You'll no longer have to see like his skin flakes all over the coffee mugs and shit. You gotta really like uh, disinfect the place because he's bringing in a lot of just bad omens and uh, odors, like diseases that have been out of existence for the past like like for centuries. Yeah, like he 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 thinks of things in terms of like the humors. <laughs> he definitely has an overabundance of black bile, though. Yeah, he's a disgusting piece of shit. I'm extremely happy he's gone. Fuck Steve Bannon and his boring-ass ideas and uh, bigoted bullshit. I am proud to see uh, Michael Wolff's fucking book, Fire and Fury, stir up enough shit, despite what any, like, uh, one said about it, to... 
lead to this. It's been quite a turn of events. This is really one of the like stories that the media couldn't get enough of this week. It's true, but uh, arguably uh, one of the least important, but definitely <laughs> one of the more hilarious. Because um, I mean, we we heard from Trump uh, himself uh, that Bannon was crying when he was <laughs> removed from his post at the White House. Do you mean sloppy Steve? <laughs> His make his um, not his makeup, but like his I guess like sagging flesh probably was like running down his cheeks, like a uh, you know disappointed lady at prom who was stood up by her man's. Oh God! And he has to like go home and like dance with his mom. <laughs> oh man! So that's that's how probably how Steve Bannon became a white nationalist, um, ladies and germs. Uh, and you know what? Honestly, he's a piece of shit, and uh, you know. I hope he remains unemployed. And, uh, how long till he has a fucking uh, like uh, podcast? <laughs> well, if once he does, we'll just get him on the show. So uh, you'll know we'll be the first to hear Steve Bannon on the air, hopefully on these on this show. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this does prove our point from the first episode that Steve Bannon is like aggressively mediocre. His fucking civilizational conflict. Or was... dimensional chess. <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. It was never anything. He's just a fucking like nerd and fucking uh, white nationalist who, now that he doesn't have the website, is just no. He's worth nothing. He has no power. He is nothing. I also wonder what Breitbart is going to be like post Steve Bannon. Not that I'm any expert on Breitbart or Miss Material, but I wonder like what role it'll play I moving think it'll forward. Just essentially, be Trump apolog- apologism. I-, I don't see what other angle they could take because now they're. I think they're treading harder to not do the quite so overtly racialized stuff. They they didn't. Uh, I think they took down the uh, black crime header that you were able to uh that was like a drop down yeah i do think yeah i actually think you may have a point i think we might see more convergence between fox news and breitbart as they both kind of just descend into like boring trump apologism speaking of boring trump apologism chris christie is leaving office disgraced and ashamed and his approval rating is at an all-time low he's he's full of meatloaf (laughs) He looks like meatloaf. It's been force-fed meatloaf for the past year. (laughs) His body, like a sagging bag of meatloaf, decided to give an enormous tax break to Amazon. Why do you think he was incentivized to do this? Could it be because (laughs) he's entering the private sector? Let's let's clarify that um, this would be billions of dollars in tax breaks for Amazon if um, the tech company chose to locate its second headquarters in Newark, New Jersey. I think that uh, we should contextualize this. Like every state and fucking uh, like city has basically offered up these insane tax cuts to Amazon because Amazon's supposedly going to bring in so many like, you know, well-paid workers, which can support like service economies around that area and like revitalize the whole city's economy single-handedly because we live in this like hell world where, you know, these tech god emperors decide which cities boom and which bust. Either way, with Chris Christie, he's definitely like just, he's the kind of fucking double trend, like transgression theory asshole who's going to like grab some food off the shelf on his way out to the doghouse or whatever, like tired, uh, you know, cliche we can talk about here. He has just, he has no fucking shame. Yeah, I, 
uh, am skeptical about anything he says. And quite honestly, do you think he'll get subpoenaed by Robert Mueller in this uh, investigation? You know, I would think so, but Chris Christie's also such like a stone-cold gangster. Why haven't we heard from him or Giuliani? I'm telling you because, well, Giuliani's like a full-on fascist, but Chris Christie's kind of like just a a straight-up gangster, and like gangsters don't talk. Like Chris Christie, I think, is right now biding his time to be able to like make his next trial. Like he's a a calculating chubby man. He's not... A pushover at all. It's not like uh, remember like um, there's a news story cycle circling that like Trump was gonna testify to like Mueller, yes. <laughs> as if that would be any kind of like. Well, I did read about uh, how Trump's lawyers are preparing him for such a thing, but there's no. I don't think to this point there's no scheduled uh, deposition, which uh, he couldn't avoid. He'd have to do it, right? If he were deposed, but like he could fucking just like shut the door and like put his fingers in his ears and like shit his pants and no one's gonna like stop him. I linked this New Republic article about how Amazon is thriving thanks to these taxpayer dollars. The tech giant has received more than one billion dollars in tax breaks. The government is also funding food stamps for many of its workers. As Amazon builds up its distribution network, it's hit on a trick long practiced by the likes of Walmart using the federal government to help pay its workers. A new study by Policy Matters Ohio found that more than 700 Amazon employees receive food stamps or more than 10% of the tech giant's 6,000 strong workforce in the state. Some of those recipients may be part-time help, but the fact that they need federal aid to survive suggests they would be happy to work more. Why is this giant successful company offering such limited pay and hours so that that many of its workers need help buying food, asked Zach Schiller, research director of Policy Matters. So this is, you know, something that uh, people have been saying about these uh, giant corporations like Walmart and Amazon for a while. It's uh, abusive wages. That's just a way of them benefiting from a, you know, government program in a way that is kind of like disingenuous to the spirit of law. I mean, I'm sure that companies like that kind of write that into their business plan in a way, if that makes sense. Like they can assume that they can pay their employees less based on like what government benefits are available to them. They can kind of like make a decision and determine a bottom line. You know, I get it's uh, it's just greasy and freaky. And I think we are like heading towards this world where like we just rely on these like corporate giants for like handouts and they just just like make like make kings and fucking uh, they're king makers but they also will just like pull the entire economy out from like a city or an what, area what was jeff bezos's donation yeah oh this one fucking got me so jeff bezos fucking god emperor of amazon this dude who's worth 105 billion dollars which is supposedly the largest personal fortune that's ever existed in like the history of people having billions of dollars or that being a thing that we all cared about. So this guy has spent $33 million to send 1000 DACA recipients to college. So if you do the math on that, that's 33,000, that's $33,000 per student. Now what fucking school, what college are you paying for $33,000? Like a state school where you got the fucking, where you get a scholarship. Yeah. No, there, a lot of state schools are even like 30 grand per year. Like most private universities at this point are like 40 or above. Like there are plenty of schools that are like 60 grand a year or more. College costs so much more than that. It's an obscenely small amount of money. And if you 
contextualize that with how much money Jeff Bezos has, that's, I think, like point zero 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 three percent of his fucking wealth, $33 million. If you do the math, it comes out to that if you were a person under 35, according to census data, you'd be making, your net worth should be about like $6,700. If you were to spend a proportional amount of your net worth on like don- a donation that was proportional to what Jeff Bezos donated from his own personal fortune, you would have to donate like $2. So for Jeff Bezos, it's basically like donating $2. Or I think if the, the, someone else put it as like, if you make 50 grand a year, then it's about the same as you donating $16. Like that's what it, 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 that's what $33 million is like to Jeff Bezos. So it's just like a fucking pittance. And it's this bullshit world where we like, where People get lauded for this. His billion dollars is not your billion. You cannot measure his uh, generosity on the same scale by which you would measure yourself because he lives in a different planet than you, basically. And consistently, poor people give a larger percentage of their, like, uh, income and wealth to charity than rich people do. Um, And it's a myth that undocumented people don't pay taxes. Oh, that's also true. Yeah, absolutely. They pay into they pay taxes. They just don't get any tax benefits. Like they don't get um, social services that are shared for the most part. Let's move on because we could uh, we could have a Bezos struggle session for quite a while. But I would like to discuss uh, breaking news as we record about Mr. Ronnie Johnson, Sam. This is just fucking stupid. <laughs> This is just, this is what we described, I think, in our Sam Clovis episode, when we see that the White House is just populated by these, like, bumbling fools. Essentially, the White House released, uh, how long was this letter, Sam? Two-sentence letter related to Trump's checkup? Yes. So, basically, the Trump administration seems to have faked a, like, medical checkup by Dr. Ronnie Jackson, uh, one of the top doctors in the country at Walter Reed Hospital. He's a White House doctor. And I think, like, someone tweeted out a comparison, a side-by-side comparison of, like, the two-sentence email that the Trump administration put out that says like trump is in great health signed ronnie johnson which is is misspelled they fucked up his name also like we all know that that's bullshit look at him is he sallow his diet is consists of all these fats and salts and and either way they they misspelled this fucking doctor's name and they and like if you look at it side by side with obama's fucking physical it's like obama's physical is just a normal medical report like filled out by like a a professional like an adult with a job as opposed like a two-word email that was like written like last minute right so the white house clearly forged the document and they didn't even try they didn't even try to make it convincing they didn't even take like the most basic attempt they didn't even make the most basic attempt to make this like any bit convincing you know i know that they're on the big stage and all but have you ever worked in an office where like nobody gives a shit (laughs) like you know years years have passed since i feel that way but like I remember being younger and working in just offices where you're like, nobody fucking cares and you just hand in the most bare minimum shit. I guess that's like, there's no like upper management accountability. <laughs> well, remember, people. remember, um, 
when Eric Andre said that like he came up with his show because he was working a temp job and he was like pissed off about or he was like didn't was phoning it in and then he wound up uh like thinking it would be funny if there was a talk show where the talk show host like was just doing a temp job so he treated his talk show like a temp job it didn't take it seriously and was like phoning it in like that's what i think the trump white house is kind of like they just have like so many like like in all their interns and just shit must be like what the fuck are we Hence doing the here comments. <laughs> yeah oh this is just bad so let's just fucking break down the response to that whole mess because i think it is so funny how people on the right defended it you had ben shapiro on fox and he was like there are some pretty shitty countries ben shapiro's fucking racist piece of shit like conception of other countries has been well documented before though but the other funny thing was the liberal response oh Um, yeah I mean, not that he is the uh, liberal of choice, but the Bill Crystal thread, I believe, that uh, Sam tweeted out on the show account. Bill Crystal is a fucking never-Trump, conservative, very fucking centrist, lame-o. He was very inspired by Oprah. He tweeted, I'm with her. Yeah, he did. And we'll get into Oprah later with a very special guest, but... Yeah, okay, so Bill Crystal, this fucking goon, tweeted out, Two weeks ago, a 26-year-old soldier raced repeatedly into a burning Bronx apartment building, saving four people before he died in the flames. His name was Private Emmanuel Mensa, and he immigrated from Ghana, a country Donald Trump apparently thinks produces very subpar immigrants. So what I read out of this was that, like, to prove yourself you should like have to basically like sacrifice yourself in in the most heroic act possible that's what it takes to prove your worth to fucking bill crystal a fucking loser journalist who's never done anything for anyone beneficial in his entire life it was just so insulting i don't get this world where people who weren't born here have to prove that they are like human beings and should be treated as such like when you respond to the argument that immigrants deserve less in this country on its own terms, like the way Bill Crystal does in this tweet, then you are tacitly like admitting more than you think. And you are basically allowing like the xenophobic racist, like idiocy in the white house to like corrupt your stupid brain and like kill off your brain cells. So, well, okay. So Bill Crystal also said that Oprah would not in an oval office meeting with senators use the term shithole countries. (laughs) Shut the fuck up! God damn it! I mean, um, oh, there's a lot of just like there was. I think it was an op-ed in the New York Times. It was like, is it time to say that Trump's a racist? It's like, God, it, it, how many times do they have to fucking retread this fucking conversation? It's so boring. He first came into notoriety in the '70s for like un, for like unfair housing yeah, discrimination. His dad was a Klan member. We he talked about this. Meetings. He got arrested at the meetings. Episode five of the Plunge for more on that. He uh, comes from a long line of people who engaged in housing discrimination. Fucking launched his campaign calling Mexican immigrants rapists. I saw someone that was like, uh, I think it was Joy Reid. Friend of the show. How could Republicans continue to work with Trump after this this comment, like denouncing all of these countries? And it's like, why would this be the watershed moment? Why? Why would? Why would this be the difference maker? 
that is like putting the hope in these fucking like craven Republicans that they like have not earned and to act like Trump is that much of an aberration to these people is just disingenuous. No, let's let's link to a, the fabulous current affairs article that dropped like this weekend talking about how it's preposterous every time these like liberal publications cling to Trump exceptionalism and this idea that I mean Trump is egregious and outlandish and definitely unprecedented in some ways but a lot of what he's done is like business as usual for like Democrats and Republicans alike Uh, with the exception of maybe Obama every fucking president before him I could see making a comment similar to the shit or at least their policy reflected the idea their policy reflected the idea that other countries were not valuable and that they could be plundered and destroyed like the countries that Trump mentioned like El Salvador and Haiti and um, I mean the entire continent of Africa has just been through the 20th century like systematically destroyed by the United States by other Western powers so like it's although it's completely disgusting for him to say this like it's not an aberration and we need to do some deeper soul searching about like U.S. foreign policy and the role that we play on this fucking green earth that we all have to live on. <laughs> I was surprised of a House vote that occurred this week by a tweet from Edward Snowden, and uh, he said House votes two fifty six one sixty four to expand Trump's warrantless surveillance powers for the next six years. The vote to reform warrantless searches of Americans' phone calls and emails failed. Needing the support of 26 more. Dems could have swung it, but 55 of them voted with the Trump camp. Um, I think Snowden knows as much as anyone because all of the shit that went down with his case occurred under a Democratic administration. The Democrats are totally, at least the Democrats in power, are totally cool with uh, warrantless surveillance of civilians. Sam, I brought this up and then you were kind enough to dunk on me about... (laughs) Edward Snowden. Uh, apparently, I'm not uh, woke enough on the topic of Edward Snowden. No. Uh, okay, uh, okay. It's not like about we. <laughs> you can be woke about Edward Snowden. He's a white man. All right. So Edward Snowden <laughs> fucking sucks. Um, Edward Snowden's act of revealing the NSA's like insane espionage apparatus and the role that Silicon Valley played as you know government contractors like fucking prostrating themselves to the NSA was a very like momentous shift in politics and is and that act of bravery is relatively unparalleled especially his decision to kind of leave behind his life having said that Edward Snowden the guy fucking sucks Edward Snowden was a Republican he was down with Bush spying he only really ever got like squeamish about the NSA when Obama was in power and he in general since revealing this has kind of like been misleading people um there's an incredible article called in the baffler called the crypto keepers by Yasha Levine and it's about the weird dependence that crypto like messaging applications like signal and telegram the weird dependence they have on government funding government aid in many cases Um, It's an incredible piece of investigative journalism exposing that these applications in a large part depend depend on money directly from the CIA as well as um, the fact that they run on Amazon and Google web platforms, meaning that like 
it's as if you like you developed a uh, the example they used was as if like Alexander Solzhenitsyn had um est- like the KGB established a secret like publishing forum for him um and they said that it was safe from them like it's preposterous and um I'm going to quote from it just quickly to get at where Everett Snowden fits into all of this it says, now, four years after the Smoden leak, we can see that all energy and outrage and potential for civic action has been redirected into a narrow brand of mass politics by app. The new consensus, brooded loudly in and around Silicon Valley, holds that all we need to do to protect ourselves from surveillance is download whatever crypto chat app is in vogue at the moment and run it on our iPhones. Edward Snowden himself has been the principal promoter of this idea, never missing an opportunity to tell people that collective politics is useless and that arming yourself with technology is where it's at. He shrugged off the for-profit surveillance that powered the businesses of Silicon Valley, pithily telling the Washington Post that Twitter doesn't put warheads on foreheads. Instead, he saw private companies like Apple and Facebook as allies, perhaps the only places that offered even a modicum of safety in the dangerous wilderness of the internet. To him, private developers and software engineers were the true protectors of the people, and he called on them to rise up against government oppression. He also goes on to say that is simply letters on a page um basically he just doesn't have any faith in like collective politics or organizing he just seems like hopeless about the idea that we can kind of like have a government that doesn't like run a massive terrifying security apparatus and he just it's like this libertarian trash of like i can uh, the example another example the article uses is like comparing it to people in the nra who think that they can like single-handedly like shoot down the u.s army like you're not gonna out crypto the like government if they literally control every fucking like large tech company or they have access to their information like it's it's just a fool's errand and it's like irresponsible for him to peddle that so that's my read on him sorry to dunk on you yeah i I still like that citizen four movie (laughs) oh no i mean it's heroic and like you can't write that shit that was such a crazy time when all that news came out when edward stone dropped the info so our next segment is one we'd like to call Hey, it's the New Yorker segment over here, and that is a, uh, I don't know, it's not really the segment name, it's just what we had in the Google uh, Doc where we planned the show. Um, a story that was missed, uh, Naomi Klein really uh, kind of highlighted it, and that's why I, how I noticed it, uh, the, and the author of a great book called No Is Not Enough, which I'm reading right now. So, a this big story is... NYC decided to divest uh, from fossil fuel companies. Now, why is this such a big deal, Sam? Why is this such a climate change victory? I mean, in the like heart of capitalism, New York City, like the finance center of the world, the the government has made a decision to like take on not only to take on the oil companies and sue them for their role in allowing climate change to occur, to also divest their, you know, in a time when I guess city funds, at least in general, a general trend in this country is that cities tend to be like lacking for money when it comes to pensions and, you know, their investments for retirement funds. I guess like putting that at risk and kind of like making this ballsy statement is pretty uh, un- i was taken aback by it especially since we i generally hear about the de blasio 
um, city government as being kind of like, uh, you know, liberal and uh, I guess like centrist, like willing to kind of like compromise. Uh, Bill de Blasio pretended to talk tough about cops, but has never really like done anything substantive in on that yeah, regard. He hired uh, Bill Bratton initially, who was the mind behind broken windows policing. Yeah, so he's not really an ally, but um, on this, I mean, it's a pretty ballsy move. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a check in the good column for de Blasio. Uh, I did not vote for him, just so everyone knows, uh, when on his re-election. The other story from New York this week was this fiasco with the draconian laws put in place to limit uh, books yeah, um, to inmates. Absolutely. Um, Books Through Bars in New York City released an open letter to a policy that was limiting um, inmates in New York State to ordering books and literature for personal use through a secure vendor program, which obviously would be able to kind of control the type of literature they they had access to, like the variety. At times, there were concerns that they were like censoring. There there wasn't very much available on like radical politics for example or uh stuff that might be considered like uh politically dangerous in any way uh and then there was an even more problematic thing um in that i guess there through these vendors the state could earn kind of like a commission on the sales um when already in commission it's sort of like movie theater pricing you wind up having to like pay a shitload of money for like nothing you know pop tarts cost like way more than just a dollar and uh you're in a place where you don't really have much else to think about than stuff you can't afford at the commissary. And this was after uh, New Jersey announced that they were banning the new Jim Crow, which uh, Sean King wrote about in The Intercept, and uh, this is just uh, some, some fucking bullshit. The, the, the idea that you could uh, deprive inmates of, like, one of the only fucking things that makes sense to allow them to have, like, just, like, uh, anyone deserves any book that they want to read it's inhumane to deprive people of that yeah i mean our government is secretly into uh censorship weirdly but um either way i think that that uh in new jersey that was overturned and um recently i think the uh the initiative that uh, was limiting um new inmates in new york state to ordering books from the secure vendors uh was also has been rescinded so it's still just kind of a shocking thing that like things like this were on the market, like the just making everything for sale and the like, government searching so desperately for a way to kind of like make a buck while also controlling what their inmates have access to is pretty shocking. The country that depends so much on private prisons and filling beds in prisons, not too surprising. And I guess one more thing I'd like to talk about before we bring in our guests is, and this is something we hadn't talked about before, Sam, but it's the return of Real Time with Bill Maher. Let's shout out Luke Savage's excellent article from last year, The Hollow Courage of Bill Maher from Jacobin Magazine, which really helped me to uh, kind of crystallize what's fucking annoying about Bill Maher, you know, annoying new atheism bullshit. Um... (laughs) So, Sam, anything to say to shout out the return of Real Time with Bill Maher? I mean, I'm still amazed at how long that's been on the air. Hopefully, this is like the last season. Oh, he just signed I, a long contract. He, he He's going to be around. Oh, man. Uh, well, 
I mean, I probably won't be watching, but uh, I'll probably be laughing when I see all of his like goofy faux pas that wind up in the uh, fucking uh, in the news in the regular outrage cycles. So uh, let's see if he can make it a uh, six months without saying the N word. <laughs> uh, yep, play us out with that uh, that Bill Maher theme song, and then we'll bring our guest. So this week, for story time and the pop culture corner, we have an extremely special guest. Sam, this is someone we've uh, referenced on the show before. It's Rachie. Okay, so this is the part where the uh, reggaeton air horns need to go for my introduction. They've been going. They're going. Yeah, ongoing. Well, perfect. Um, Yes, so I'm Rachie. I am a very smart and beautiful Ghanaian woman, and the plunge is very lucky to have me on. And I only agreed to do this interview because you guys finally made it on the iTunes store, and um, talent like mine is hard to pin down. It's true. Having uh, the endorsement of a company like Apple, you know, it's a, it's a big, uh, you know, that that really is a stamp of approval. Like, you know, we got the iTunes bump. That's true. Definitely. Well, prepare for the Rachy bump. I'm very popular, so <laughs> so much clout. Rachy, <laughs> we needed your expertise on a few things because I think personally. Sam and I are men. We are white. Just to interrupt you real quick while you're mansplaining that you're white, I realize that a lot of people might not know what Ghanaian means. I'm a black woman. (laughs) There you have it. Heard it here first. And I'm not Rachel Dolezal also, just to be clear. Um, So, Rachie... We are, Sam and I, two uh, white men. We would like to discuss some things going on in the culture with you, and then maybe you could tell us a story. But first, we're going to go into the pop culture corner. Great. And speaking of culture, Dan, that is actually the name of a Migos album, and I heard that you only know one Migos song. Yeah, Dan. That's a running thing thing on this show. Dan really has uh, some gaps in his rap knowledge, and we're gonna roast him about it. It's yeah, it's true. it's very disturbing to me. I am a fan of rap, and uh, <laughs> I like uh, you know the, the standard "Run the Jewels," Danny Brown spectrum of things. Uh, but I certainly have blind spots all over the place, so. Maybe we'll get into that at some point in this segment, but... And I hope talk- you we're- did not invite me on to do a freestyle, because that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, no, that was not the intention. <laughs> I swear. Okay. I swear. Sam, what are we going to do? We have to plan a new segment. Um, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, folks. All right, folks. We got, we got, we'll take care of this. Right, okay, right. so, so, Justin Timberlake, uh, another white man um, of record, Ugh. um... It, it, he is headlining the Super Bowl. Uh, we're now, I guess, what is it, ten years at fourteen years after um, the initial, <laughs> the initial uh, Janet Jackson, uh, 
Nipplegate, the wardrobe malfunction, whatever people are calling it these days. The original nip slip. Um, and I guess we wanted to like talk about the kind of use and abuse of uh, like black music by whites, especially like former. I guess, um, like, child stars, like Miley Cyrus, or there are people like uh, Mark Wahlberg who got his start as a rapper from, like, Boston, like, Maki Mock or whatever. Um, it just he blinded an Asian man. Yeah, yeah, he's a despicable human, and he's, like, one of the... I think he is the highest-paid actor in Hollywood currently, though. Yeah, there was this whole thing uh, breaking uh, news this week about how Mark Wahlberg held out for an extra, like, uh, like couple million because uh, uh, it was in his contract that he could not approve Christopher Plummer to replace Kevin Spacey in that new movie. So he demanded like an extra few million, or else they wouldn't. He wouldn't let them do the reshoots. And then there was the, Rachel. You told me a story recently about um, about Mark Wahlberg getting paid like one and a half million for like a supporting yeah. role. So he and Michelle Williams are both represented by the same, same. talent agency, but they negotiated one point five million dollars for Mark Wahlberg, who is a supporting actor in the film, and Michelle Williams got her eighty dollars per day per diem, and that's it. So she made about a thousand dollars for the reshoots versus Mark Wahlberg, who, as Dan mentioned, blinded an Asian man in a hate crime because he beat him so severely got 1.5 million dollars so i guess what we want to get into here is why is justin timberlake after a career of um appropriating blackness to make millions of dollars uh why is he basically like uh, the meme i saw was listens to bonnie bear once yeah. And now I'm just going so far to the whites. Okay, he it, only in the aesthetic though, because we watched the video for "Filthy," the lead I single was from this. Forced to watch that video again. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we, why don't we <laughs> drop in uh, the beginning of it right now, just so the listeners can get a sense. All right, so Rachel, what do you have to say about Filthy? So what I have to say about Filthy is that I'm not going to call it cultural appropriation because that would be offensive uh, to my culture. <laughs> because I don't know what the hell was going on there. So Justin Timberlake is performing in front of an entirely Asian crowd at something that I think he calls like the pan-Asian emotional like robot conference or something ridiculous like that. And he enters the stage a la Steve Jobs in a black turtleneck and nerd glasses um, to introduce a creepy robot that does all of the black dance moves that Justin Timberlake can't actually pull off himself, like the moonwalk. And then he has um, backup dancers with huge butts of all ethnicities that the robot stimulates, sorry, simulates uh, like dry humping. <laughs> and overall, it 
just made me confused and uh, angry that I had to watch it. But I, again, I'm not going to call it cultural appropriation because it has nothing to do with me. Having said that, like you said, he does steal the fucking moonwalk. The the robot does like a, cro- a Michael Jackson style crotch grab as well. And literally yep. like one of the lyrics in like the chorus is like, like they ain't leaving till six in the morning. Like explicitly ripping Wonder out off like gin and from. juice. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the most fucking famous lines of all time. It's this blatant. So I... Th- I think like what he's been saying, I remember him see, seeing him quoted as saying like he's going to like create a new world with this fucking album. Like people were like, it looks so white and aesthetic. But then he comes out with this music where there's all this cultural appropriation. Like who, what, who knows what he's going to do next? He's a wild card. Is there fucking any way this could be fucking less compelling? Like it's so, I mean, just like he's the most like white bread, like, you know, vanilla sort of. R&B themed singer like yeah I don't know and literally last year he got into um well I was gonna call it a Twitter beef but he just got roasted by black people on social media because he was like oh I saw Jesse Williams speech about cultural appropriation at the BET awards and it was super powerful and people were like Justin that's your entire career Oh, um, additionally, he got roasted for wearing a Time's Up pin at the Golden Globes when he just appeared in Woody Allen's Wonder Wheel. Yeah, Yeah, in which he, like, falls in love with his girlfriend's stepdaughter, right? Correct. Uh, I I did read that in an article (laughs) in Slate. It was, uh, yeah, he, um, I don't know who paid to see this in theaters, Wonder Wheel, but all I can say is there were... A few screeners in the kitchen at my office, and one of them was Wonder Wheel, and I did not take it. Yet, someone did later in the day, I noticed, because it was gone. Who fucking took the DVD of Wonder Wheel? Who wants to, like, watch that? Like, probably on an FBI watch list right now. (laughs) So, another thing we wanted to talk about, and I think this is really interesting, is the racialized and gendered impact of the Super Bowl... Uh, mishap, uh, the gender malf- uh, the gender malfunction, the wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. Um, uh, Janet Jackson. You gotta edit out gender malfunction before you get it, roasted. But the. Well, I don't know. It kind of like killed her career for a decade or something. And and also, I mean, Janet Jackson was like a yeah, world-striding colossus of a right. fucking music ti- like titan in the eighties and nineties. Like Beyonce-esque. Uh, in her popularity, but, like, maybe, like, a rung below that. I mean, I don't know. She was, like, a pretty icon. Like, in the early days of, like, MTV, she was, like, iconic. I think it's, like, an age thing. If people that are, like, in their 30s probably would say that Janet Jackson is more impactful than Beyonce, but we grew up with Beyonce. And, I mean, she's Beyonce, so. But I'm... I don't want to get roasted, so I'm not going to say that one is better than the other. But it was definitely a case of, um, in terms of the racialized and gendered impact, I think that it was one of the clearest examples of white privilege in pop culture where Janet Jackson was uh, ostensibly the victim. She is the one that had her breast exposed on live TV. Um, And, you know, it's one of those things where... I'm not saying that Justin Timberlake should have like gone into exile himself, but he never spoke up in defense of her, um, which basically meant that he was complicit in her receiving all of the blame. Um, her career 
her like level of um being in the public eye went down severely because she was basically like um a modern day hester Prynne because she got her tit pulled out by justin timberlake um and even though it was clearly something that the both of them had coordinated in and participated in her career went more downhill and his really took off he's never been held accountable for it um, in the same way that a lot of other entertainers have been called out for their past sexual misconduct. Um, it's really not something that anyone even talks about with him anymore. Whereas for her, it's one of the first things that I think people um, who maybe aren't as familiar with her music think about when they think about Janet Jackson. And only recently, as of like last year, was she back on tour again? Um, and Justin Timberlake has, like, in the meantime, been winning Grammys, starring in major motion pictures, even though he can't act, <laughs> all of this stuff. And it's just because people wanted to forgive Justin Timberlake for some reason, and they did not want to forgive Janet Jackson. And, I mean, Janet Jackson was the one who had to issue, like, a video apology. on like Yeah, just, and Janet Jackson is the one who's iconic. She's Janet Jackson. Yeah. She's Michael Jackson's. Sister. Which is even crazier because and, like Justin Timberlake is such a fucking like hacky ripoff of Michael Jackson. Like, seems like uh, it, it seems like just a, a clear instance of like blatant victim blaming. Yeah, definitely. And her tour, um, her comeback tour has been selling really well, and um, a lot of black women with means have been buying tickets to see her concerts. Like, we're so happy to have her back in the public eye, but. Definitely, uh, we didn't forget why she was absent for a long time. Apparently, um, this guy, uh, Jawed Kareem, um, was one of the founders of YouTube. Uh, and he said that the inspiration came from the halftime faux pas. Uh, faux pas is a euphemism for that. <laughs> for the halftime like exposure of a woman's body I committed mean, by that, fucking like Justin Timberlake. Yeah. I remember. What, uh, I don't even know why he was on the same stage as Janet Jackson, obscene, to be honest. Obscene. Let alone touching her. And that was when he was like first. He was playing like like. He was trying to come out of the end sync. Like yeah. Era. Which is what we what we were wanting to talk about is how like um these boy brand band people like uh or pop stars like Justin Bieber's kind of similar I guess they just dip into oh, like big time. they dip into black music and then like to dip show out that they're grown up and that they want to transition from um, having a younger audience and it, they, they're they literally using black culture to seem edgy and grown up and to signal to their younger fans that like oh your mom won't let you listen to this so, so of course you had like dreads remember that oh Bieber? my god yeah yeah he's <laughs> disgusting um, so anyway but then and then like Miley Cyrus Cyrus, in the same way that Justin Timberlake has distanced himself from um, his image as a cultural appropriator, or, or at least tried to, because, again, I didn't forget, she has done interviews recently where she said um, she doesn't like rap and hip-hop be anymore because it's misogynistic, and I'm like, girl, rap and hip-hop were never checking for your approval, first of all. <laughs> Um, and she also admitted herself that she's never even listened to a Jay-Z song, so I don't know what she's talking about. But very similar to Justin Timberlake, she's trying to make a return to like her Nashville roots, and she's doing a country album. So, of course, the first step in that is distancing herself from her quote-unquote urban image. Yeah, but like, the, the I mean, it's obscene to, given that 
up until very like until this last fucking comeback of hers this fucking lady was like had like 80 dicks on stage at all times like was running around and like on like yeah you know she can't make this claim to like being to like respectability and shit like when she like ripped off like hip-hop in the stupidest way possible like twerked her first album was called bangers with a z yeah come on like it's so tacky to just like to dip into it for the like to get yourself out of you know you're being like a corny pop star or child star and then dipping back out so you can be like a mature artist or like you know you grow out of like hip rap or some shit like that's so insulting um do you remember when she was trying to convince everyone that she could twerk and i was like <laughs> you are just shaking your hips as fast as you can and nothing's happening that was one of the most shocking videos i ever the, saw the one with Robin and i actually did make my mom watch um her mtv vma right, performance with robin, robin, robin thick and my mom uh like didn't talk to me for two days <laughs> she very upset by it oh uh, the thing with the youtube is uh let me redo that. Sorry. Okay. So the thing with YouTube was that um, one of the founders, Jawed Kareem, um, said that he was inspired uh, by the Justin Timberlake affair um, to create YouTube because he said he could not easily find the video clip online. So uh, I guess this, this is a very, uh, this is like a foundational moment in, um, so we have Justin Timberlake to blame for the Logan Paul yeah. Suicide Force videos. So, Rachie, for story time, we wanted to hear from you this week because you were very passionate about a late-breaking news story last Sunday, which apparently the media has decided that Oprah Winfrey should be the next... Uh, challenger to Donald Trump. Now, we're, we're, you know, Sam and I um, had a lot of thoughts about this, but we want to hear your take first, because you wrote, you wrote quite an impassioned note on Facebook, um, and, you know, I I really, I think, I think, absolutely, and uh, just, why don't you just uh, tell us what you think about Oprah 2020. Take it away. Well, first of all, I would have to say that I'm reclaiming my time from these two white men. Um, I'm going to talk at length without interruption about Oprah Winfrey. And if they do, in fact, interrupt me, I will be reporting them directly to Reverend Al Sharpton. Okay. So that counts as an interruption. I'm going to tweet Al Sharpton right now. So obviously, I love Oprah. She's amazing. Um, she, I think, is a role model to a lot of people. Her life story is basically the American dream, and it's made her filthy rich, which I fully support. But I was really surprised that people were saying that her um, Golden Globe speech was a candidacy statement, um, that it signaled that she was interested in politics, because I listened to the speech, and that is not what it was about. So this whole Oprah 2020 thing is just basically um, a white liberal guilt fantasy in the line of J.K. Rowling tweeting that um, black women are God after Roy Moore was defeated in his Senate race. So this idea that um, black women are these kind of strong mythical beings that can... um, 
are the only ones that can stand up to oppression and the Trump agenda and kind of fix everything is completely absurd for a lot of different reasons. Um, The first being, if black women actually had an adequate political voice, we would have a much better and much different country. I think that it's it's very confusing to me that people will on one hand say, you know, Oprah should run for president and black women stopped Roy Moore from getting into the Senate while ignoring the barriers to participating politically that a lot of people of color, especially black women, face. Um, You know, we don't have uh, mandatory voting registration, Um, the Voting Rights Act protections were not in place for our most recent presidential election, finding um, childcare and getting time off work to vote is extremely difficult, if not impossible, in a lot of communities. So it's very interesting that people will pretend that black women are these, are, is, black women are this deciding force in politics, which we should be, when actually we're not given the voice that we deserve. So that was one reason. And my second reason was um, it plays so well into, like, the mammy narrative of black women as, like, just these kind of uh, strong, unfeeling messiahs who exist to fix your problems. So um, white people, including white women, overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump to be president, overwhelmingly voted um, to put someone in the highest office in the land who has put into place a lot of policies that hurt people, particularly people of color. And now they're saying that, Black women, this is another mess we made for you to clean up. But it's 2017. Um, We're not mammies. We're not people that you can call when you've made a huge mess and expect us to clean it up. Like, I'm not like Aunt Jemima. You can't ruin the country and then be like, Oprah, why don't you give up your billions of dollars, your net worth, which has increased so much because of your Weight Watchers deal, to run for president against Donald Trump? Like, why would she give up her career, her TV network, everything that she's built to run for president of a country that is still deeply racially divided? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And um, I feel like when people... Like, I feel that what I'm saying is not that Oprah would necessarily be a terrible president. What I'm saying is that um, people are forcing this narrative that she wants to be president in the face of all the evidence that she's given us that she doesn't want to be president because um, I think that there are a lot of white people that maybe feel guilty that um, black women are the ones that over, that we're the segment of the population that voted for Hillary Clinton um, in the highest percentages. And so they're thinking, um, you know, what can we do to stop Trump? Oh, black women. But the thing with that is you can't, um, you can't like deify black women without paying attention to the actual realities of being a black woman in this country. Um, So all these people that were posting Oprah 2020, I guarantee you they uh, are not posting about 
the disparity in um, maternal mortality rates for black women, which is astronomical. Serena Williams this week came out with a story about how she almost um, lost her life during childbirth because medical staff were not taking her seriously. And if that happens to Serena Williams, you can imagine what the average you know, maternity in a hospital situation is like for a woman who's not the greatest living athlete in the world. They're not talking about um, the lack of access to clean water in Flint. Lifetime is making a movie about Flint starring Cher, by the way. They still don't have clean water. Is, fu- not- is Future also in it? <laughs> uh, is Michael Moore in it? Interrupt me. Sorry. <laughs> Mansplaining again. Rachie, please continue. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dan. Um, They're not posting about the end of TPS for um, Haitian women being sent back to a country that does not have the infrastructure that it should, despite its bounty of natural resources because of colonialism. So over and over again, I feel like white people create the problem and then step back and wait for um, a black person that they can pin all their hopes on to fix it. And, you know, black women are wonderful, strong, beautiful, complicated. We are not God. We're not like an other. We're actual human beings with um, complicated feelings and experiences. And I think when people say things like, Oprah, who has a talk show, is clearly the best choice to run America or J.K. Rowling tweeting that uh, black women are God and that's why Roy Moore didn't win just puts us in a situation where black women are seen as as like an other as this just like almost mythical force of just sheer political strength and will while ignoring the actual experience and if people are only going to show up for billionaire black women like Oprah, then it's not it's not helping anybody because like I said, she's a billionaire. She doesn't need you to change your profile picture to one of her. She doesn't need you commenting yes queen on all of her pictures on Instagram. She's she's Oprah. She doesn't need it. She's already like one of the most powerful women in the world. And it was just very frustrating to me that a black female billionaire who's a private citizen who's getting an award for her work in the entertainment industry that people are so desperate for change and so desperate for a quick fix rather than taking a deep look at at how Donald Trump got elected and why um it's just it's just a lazy excuse you know you're they're not thinking about um people that felt neglected in this past election. They're not willing to actually work on immigration reform to protect dreamers. They just want to post about Oprah. Richie, did you find it kind of patronizing? Because I certainly like read this myself into the whole... You can talk now. Thank you. Um, that people were throwing all this power behind Oprah's speech when it wasn't really... A, that political, and B, we don't really know what any of her, like, political stances are, so people are kind of just projecting their, like, dreams onto her, of, like, these, like, I don't, like, it's, didn't you find it weird that, 
we don't even know what, what right. her Right, and that's are. because she, she's a talk show host. She had a nationally syndicated TV show. She's not going to, she's not Hillary Clinton. She knows that what people want to hear is not like dry policy proposals over and over. She's like, she's made a career out of being in the entertainment industry. So of course we don't know like her thoughts on specific economic policies. Like we can, I guess, try to assume, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. She gave a speech, white people, white liberals don't like who they have in office. So they're like, Oh, Oprah has to do it. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. Her speech was not political to me. I think it was very important and very moving, but I, it was definitely not like a declaration for candidacy. And I saw so many headlines that were like, is Oprah signaling she wants to run for president? No, she's accepting an award for being like a great entertainer. I think it's just this, you know, another example definitely of this uh, perverse clickbait culture where it's only a story because the uh, media tries to create the story. Like, it was... I could see it being, like, a funny joke on social media for, like, awards show, Twitter, that kind of thing gets churned out uh, from time to time, uh, but then it kind of goes away. But the amount of uh, coverage of Oprah on Monday was insane yeah on like tv and stuff yeah, it was as I if mean, she had seriously declared that she was running for office as opposed to just saying i think that it's bad that there's a cultural like sexual harassment and assault in um hollywood or you know and the world at large so Rachie, unless you have anything else to add to that Um, um, I think I've said, I've said it all. So we can consider the, the entire debate on Oprah 2020 formally closed. Excellent. Um, so also at the Golden Globes, James Franco came under fire for wearing a Now, do you guys want to hear, um, you know, the, the dishy gossip? I do. Um, I just want to give The Real Housewives of New Haven segment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Uh, let me let me just give some background for any listeners that weren't apprised of the situation that is currently brewing with James Franco. So the L.A. Times, uh, after the Golden Globes, put out an article um, in which uh, five women, uh, four uh, acting students of his and one ex-girlfriend, uh, alleged uh, sexual impropriety either uh, while filming sex scenes uh, in which he was inappropriate um, or um, uh, one instance of uh, forced uh, oral sex. And um, it's, um, it's, it's crazy to see these uh, actors who parade around with the, you know, wearing all black and, you know, with these pins um, uh, that say time's up who have, uh, certainly some questionable past themselves. Now, um, Rachie, you attended uh, the same university as Mr. Franco at one point in your life. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. So I don't know if I mentioned this before in my intro, but I went to Yale um, University. Ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, again, for the people in the back, I went to Yale 
University. I graduated with a degree in political science, so I'm qualified to be on this podcast, obviously. More qualified than um, we are. <laughs> yeah, give, give me your podcast. Um, <laughs> but I, like many uh, young girls at the time, had a crush on James Franco. Um, and I was very excited when he announced that he was going to be getting his PhD and I believe English literature at Yale the same year that um, I started school there as a freshman. And um, admittedly, I like, I heard that he liked a certain coffee shop. So I was like, oh my God, maybe if I go there, I'll run into James Franco, but I didn't drink coffee and I didn't have any money. So it didn't work. And I didn't meet him in a coffee shop, which actually turned out to be good because um, I started hearing stories from a couple of girls who had said that uh, friends of theirs had mentioned that he like was he was like only dating freshmen and he was a PhD student so like the people with whom he'd have the biggest age disparity with and also um, that he <laughs> would uh, sit in Starbucks with a leather jacket with no shirt on underneath and just give girls his number. Ooh. Spicy. Yes. Yeah. And so Nothing um weird about that. <laughs> Can you imagine if you went to Starbucks and you saw a man wearing a leather jacket yeah, with no shirt I don't underneath? Need to see Franco's nipples when getting like espresso. <laughs> and I feel like you have to wear a shirt in Starbucks. Like isn't that one of their rules? Normal civilians do. <laughs> jacket was uh kind of zipped when he came in and then he sits down and (laughs) slowly but you know it's it's really crazy because the oscar voting which like it or not it's a huge cultural event i mean the whole country talks about it even though they're corny of course they're corny um god did you see like how bad seth meyers is uh some of his jokes were at the golden globes holy shit they were so fucking self-flagellating and like just embarrassing to watch like i felt bad for him to like be on stage i guess he kind of had to do that sort of material because that's like the room kind of demanded couldn't he have made it funny yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean it it just kind of sounded like all like white guys wrote the material too and it was just kind of like yeah. boring um and i know that one of james franco uh, one of the women that came forward with allegations about james franco said that he had hit on her when she was 17 um so definitely on campus um people were talking about how he had a preference for younger women which is not a problem as long as you're making sure that they're over 18 which and of course like being respectful and making sure you have affirmative consent and those were not the the kind of stories that i was hearing it was like if you are a freshman and you look a certain way and you go to this starbucks he'll be waiting there with lurking a leather jacket and no shirt on underneath and i actually did end up um getting to meet him um, they had a screening of Howl where Daniel Radcliffe plays Allen Ginsberg um, and James Franco is also in it on campus. And then afterwards, I got a picture with him and he was much shorter than I was expecting. And like, no offense, he smelled really bad. Um, he's an act- and I was he's an actor. I know he's got no time for bathing. And um, yeah, I, 
so this was like in 2010 so i i didn't have a camera phone i had a digital camera and so i had my friends take pictures of me with james franco and then i was so excited to upload them using a usb cable to <laughs> facebook because that's what you had to do back then and i was like my friends from high school are gonna be sick like i've only been in college for like two months and i've already met james franco so imagine my surprise <laughs> When all of the comments were like, what did you do to him? He looks so pissed. Like, that is not the face of an angry man. James Franco was livid in all of the photos with That's me. Great. He looked like he wanted to die or that he wanted to kill me. He was, like, doing the hover hand. And just his his the, his facial expression was like, I wish I were dead right now. And now I know the reason is because I was uh, over 18, <laughs> close to 19. So I was not his type. I, I also got a strong sense of his smell from the picture. Um, like, I looked at the picture, and I could yeah. smell him kind of, like, through the fucking computer screen. But I do want to say, um, the Oscar votes ended on Friday, right? So uh, I read that most of the Oscar voters vote way in advance um, of the deadline. So not only uh, our odds are that Franco will still be nominated for Best Actor for playing Tommy Wiseau in The Disaster Artist, which I will say I fucking love that movie. Um, and um, it's uh, it's going to be really strange to see, like, what, what do they do? Like, does he not show up? Does he show up and act contrite? And, like, th there well, must be publicity. Publicists working that... round the clock for this shit. <laughs> James Franco said that he respects women too much to deny the allegations. <laughs> like, oh, God. What a neck like, beard. Which, which is like a brilliant move because he gets to he, he gets to be like, um, I'm not going to be part of a culture of shaming victims, so I'm just not going to address these at all. I'm glad these women feel like they have a voice. Right. Um, and it's like... <laughs> It's like you like the idea of women coming out uh, and coming forward, but not, like, in practice when it is about things you have done. And you also don't like the idea of just not doing the shit that makes women come out and have to say, I was abused by fucking James Franco. Yeah. Women, the thing about women is um, we don't only like to talk about sexual assault. I don't know if you know this. And I... I, I know for a fact those women would prefer to have a voice and to be known for something other than um, these allegations against James Franco, which is not to say that, like, they're not incredibly brave for speaking up, but, like, can't women have a voice about something else? Like, can't women have a voice in Hollywood, like, in directing and producing and, like, for other things? Like, this isn't the only instance in which women should have a voice and be heard, James Franco. Can, couldn't uh, agree more. Um, Were you going to say couldn't have said it better myself? No, yeah, that was, that, yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> yeah, I caught you. Um, do we have anything else to say about James Franco? Um, other than I genuinely am curious about this Oscar race. Uh, not so much the race, but more just like, how does the Hollywood apparatus uh, handle this? Because people make a lot of money um, doing damage control and, you know, publicity. So what will, like, the best publicists in the world do to mitigate 
the damage to James Franco's um, uh, bankability as an actor. Because ultimately what this comes down to is um, will he be able to work again? And ultimately, um, I, if I were to predict, uh, you know, how this will shake out uh, in the future, like, I, I think Kevin Spacey probably won't work again, but I think James Franco will probably work again. I don't think that he's going to be ostracized in the same way as Louis C.K. or Kevin Spacey. And I think there is a certain level of, uh, you know... Uh, explosive, uh, you know, sex pest article fatigue, unfortunately, because there's just so many. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like people um, are unfortunately going the Matt Damon route of things, which is being like, oh, there's a sliding scale of sexual impropriety, and if someone does this but doesn't do that, then it's okay. And I think that he is going to be working again because people are going to be like, oh, he's no Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, and that sliding scale is super fucking relative. Um, like, not 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 to say that I don't think that there's like maybe more of an objective like kind of way to evaluate these things, but I I think that just the way that certain people are punished for what they do is sort of like uneven right. with like certain people who just get off scot free for like really bad shit. I mean, I, I don't want to like issue anything more on but that. But I think as like good like you know, left-leaning people, we also have to be open to the idea of, like, rehabilitation and, like, you know, if not forgiveness, like, uh, you know, Sam, didn't we talk a few weeks ago about the idea of, like, banning prisons and stuff? So, like, where, doesn't that contradict with this whole, like, punitive sort of, you know, and I'm not saying that Harvey Weinstein doesn't deserve to be in prison, that dude should be fucking like set you know have a firing squad like shoot him in the dick, i guess but like i guess where i'm at with that like with abolishing prisons as, as it relates to sex pests is like i think we should throw out like everyone who is in jail for like having marijuana in their pocket or some other fucking like broken window policing bullshit that puts people in jail forever instead of like people who actually like people with real power you know who commit bad shit like prison is bad because it uh, inflicts pain on people without power. People with power can avoid prison, which is why I always say, like, the dumbest people in the world are the people who get sent to jail for white-collar crime because it's like, how did you fuck that up? Like, you're supposed to get off scot-free. You have, like, all these protections. Like, the legal system is designed to protect you. So until that's addressed, I don't care about, like, draconian punishments for, like, sex pests. If some, like, lesser sex pests get really fucked... um, and I don't really care that much. <laughs> right, and again, it's like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I care about some guy with millions of dollars making more millions of dollars. Like, there's plenty of good artists out there who don't do, uh, you know, I sex do, crimes. I do appreciate It's, like, almost redistributive because, like, all these, like, big names go down, so it makes more room for, like, smaller, lesser-known names of people who, like, haven't committed, like, sexual atrocities in the past and are, like, more diverse and yeah, more sure. interesting, so. So I have a quick non sequitur so i was on instagram where i get all of my news obviously and i scrolled past this picture of um a caucasian person um with acne who has um letters on their face spelling out i'm so fucking sick and tired of the photoshop Ah! Uh, no uh wait uh, um, so 
whole, this could be a whole other episode. As long, well, as long as we're on the topic, we should mention um, the tacky uh, white liberal replies to the like Trump shithole country comment of like white people okay, on okay. study abroad. Like, I've I've got one really quick thing to say about that. Um, as the daughter of uh, recent immigrants, sorry guys, uh, I think that I should have the floor here. So my parents moved um, from Ghana, which is the best country um, in the world, in West Africa, to America um, when Reagan was still president, Uh, which um, my grandmother was not a huge fan of because she was like, didn't black people like just get the right to vote over there? Um, And also Reagan, like, exactly. I, I don't even have anything to say about that guy. But... The fact that white liberals are um, are getting so up in arms about uh, the language and not the actual policies that are being enacted is so frustrating to me because I have seen so many white people on Facebook posting about like, how dare he call this country a shithole? I did study abroad there and I had a great time. And, and, and it's like, well, that's all fine and good, but you are saying that me as a white person um, have the authority to say that the president is wrong because I went there and I saw with my own eyes that this country's not a shithole, which is insane, which is insane. Like, you should take my word for it because I'm white, I've been there, and I'm telling you, it's not a shithole. I had a great time. First of all, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you find it so irritating when you see, um, you know, white 20-somethings post uh, photos with the, of, of their study abroad with, like, 20 uh, African children. Like, it, it just seems so, like... Yeah, and the common thread with all of those photos is that all of their friends are like, wow, you're such a good person. Like, you have such a kind heart. And I'm like, because she took a picture with this kid? You don't know. You don't know if she did anything with this child other than providing a photo op. And I, uh, I did go to Uganda on a service trip in college, and I posted a picture of me with the black um, Ugandan children that we were there um, to volunteer with. I didn't get any of those comments. No one was like, you're such a good person for going to Africa. It's so it's just like white people think they deserve a pat on the back for just going to Africa. Like it, it makes you a good person if you go and take pictures with these kids. And speaking from experience as a, a former African child, these kids are like, are you going to give me candy or get the fuck out of my face? <laughs> you know what African kids love when you take pictures of them just by themselves playing with their friends? I it's it's the truth like I whenever I go to Ghana to visit with my family my little cousins are always like take a picture of just me kicking the soccer ball in slow motion because it looks cool they're not like man I wish there were some white lady squishing her face into my face (laughs) and taking a selfie with me do you even know the kid's name we're gonna have to leave it we're gonna have to leave it there Rachie um unless you have any final wrap-ups to this uh, excellent conversation. Yes. I would say that people really need to focus on policies and not rhetoric. Like, people should be calling their Congress people about the end of TPS, not posting on Facebook that Trump shouldn't call certain countries shitholes, which, of course, he shouldn't. But if you think that 
the most important thing to um, black immigrants, especially African immigrants, is what the president calls us, then you're not paying attention to the real issues. Beautiful. Well, uh, you can, as always, follow the Plunge podcast on Twitter at Plunge underscore podcast. Now, Rachie, we are on iTunes this week. This is a big deal for the show. Uh, Aren't you proud of us? I um, will never go on the record as saying that I'm proud of two white men, but if this were off the record, like the mooch with Ryan Lizza, then I would say... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... (laughs) Sam's trying to suck his own cock in front of you right now. (laughs) 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 Uh, Check me out on Twitter at Spaventacular, S-P-A-V-E-N... T-A-C-U-L-A-R and uh, listen to me on Faction Talk 103 on Sirius XM. I'm on the Craig Ferguson show five days a week uh, and the Talking Shed show, which is a uh, recap show of the Craig Ferguson show every Saturday at 11 a.m. So, uh, Sam, anything to plug? No. Anyway, uh, you can follow me at W A G S D A N K. Um, and Rachel, are you gonna di- Rachie, Are you gonna divulge your uh, internet information, or are you gonna stay anonymous? Um, what I'll say is that if people want to uh, hear my opinions, they should like, subscribe, and review the plunge, and maybe I'll come back. Excellent, uh, Rachie. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And again, you can hear the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. If there's another place you really want to hear it, like Google Play or I don't know, whatever the fuck people listen to shit on. I just use Stitcher (laughs) generally. But um, let me know, and uh, we'll get it on there. Um, You know, it took us 12 weeks to get on iTunes because we're idiots. But um, I'm really really feeling good about it. And uh, thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Start the clock. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Time will be.